Welcome, everyone, to the AI and Business Podcast. I'm Matthew DeMello, Senior Editor here at Emerge Technology Research. Today's guest on the program is Adosa Odaro, Chief of Data Analytics and Privacy Officer at Tawania, former Chief Data Officer at AIG, and the author of two books on overcoming data challenges. For the first of a two-episode appearance on the program, Adosa joins us on today's show to talk about data challenges in the insurance space. Our conversation ranges from how insurance leaders can more efficiently close the service gaps between their sector and the rest of financial services, which Adosa sees as being farther ahead in terms of using AI capabilities, to the considerations business leaders need to keep in mind when pursuing insurance for business solutions utilizing AI. It's a lot to cover, so we have a stacked show for you ahead. Without further ado, here's our conversation. Edosa, thank you so much for being with us on the program today. Well, thank you, Matthew, for having me here. So to start off, given your wide background in this industry, what do you see as the biggest challenges currently facing the insurance space, given the current state of AI adoption? Oh, my goodness. <laughs> I know, start? I know. Where, where do we start with that? Look, it's from my standpoint, I've had so much you know, experience within insurance. And I think that, yeah, I don't think anyone in insurance would be surprised that me kind of saying insurance is behind. It's behind in many ways. But the thing about it is that, you know, it is behind and it's clear. But a huge amount of opportunity within insurance in terms of use cases and in terms of what AI can now provide, right? And now provide within the space as well. So, I mean, the state of insurance, it's nowhere near where it needs to be. You know, we compare insurance to its, you know, I suppose you can call it this little cousin in banking. Yes. Um, it's nowhere near what, what banking has become uh, within within the space, within AI, within digital field. So it's a huge amount of opportunity there. Absolutely. And when we look at banking, they're further along in the customer experience areas. They're further along in a lot of you know compliance respects. There's also the factor, and we'll, we'll get into this a little bit in, later into the show, just in terms of you know the challenges. Now you have businesses developing AI products, and those need to be insured. And you know, obviously, AI capabilities go into that and they're also about AI capabilities themselves. So I think that ends up into a situation and we're, we're finding this, you know, even a, a across sectors into the other areas that we cover on the show, which is that usually sometimes the biggest solution for certain AI problems is other forms of AI. And this can feel confusing to someone or business leaders who might think of uh, artificial intelligence in a monolith. But no, especially long-term, long-time listeners of the show know there are several different forms of artificial intelligence. We're going to be getting into even more in our next episode where we boil down your book's value-driven data and your first book, Making Data Work. But we'll save that for that next episode. Just in terms of what you're seeing in terms of where insurance is behind banking. What do you see as the biggest gaps and how are insurance firms thinking about closing those gaps going into the future? Yeah, I think when you look at where banking is, I think it's a good good sort of a, you know, I suppose reference point. Banking has transformed from this thing where you kind of have this sort of very hands-off 
you know, arm's length sort of relationship between banks and customers was all about, you know, you come around and get a loan and go away and pay back. And I think insurance has come a long way to bridge that gap as well in that actually what insurance companies have been talking about for a while has really been about this payer to partner type move, right? But actually, when you think about the payer to partner, really what it's trying to do, of course, it wanted to increase engagement. It wanted to have that kind of hand-holding and with you in the journey. But actually, how much value is that in itself creating? Right? It's, it's great to have this insurance product, which is my motor insurance, with my health insurance, and a couple of messages here and there to say, hello, you know, I'm your insurer, you know, log onto your app, <laughs> you know. But, but ultimately, I think the real, you know, I suppose, nirvana, if you like, for insurance companies is to really get into value, you know, sort of ads of services where you can really, you know, you, you're, you're something that your customers actually want to interact with as opposed to it being pushed on them. And I think that's where the real opportunities are in kind of value-based additional services that insurance can actually provide. And I know that that's especially where banking's farther along the journey. You talk to other folks in financial services and they talk about, you know, the call center going from playing goalie, being on the defense, being reactive to a sense of proactivity and getting to the point where you know what the customer's talking or going to call about before they call about it. Yeah. You spoke a lot in your last answer about how just the relationship is fundamentally different between a bank and a customer, even if that's changing rapidly and everybody in banking will say thanks to technology. Yes, that relationship is changing. But just in terms of the traditional relationship with insurance, what how should leaders envision that relationship to have the closest proximity to the customer, even if they can't full on predict you know, what they're going to call into per se or can they? Well, <laughs> I'll, I'll leave the second question to later. Right? Sure. Right? <laughs> but, but I think fundamentally, think about what it is that we all want, you and I want from your insurance company. So I think, you know, I think insurance at a point was too much focus on the front end of insurance, which is all around the sales and the policies, whether that's really around profitability or it's around growth. It was all in the front of the house. It was even in terms of, you know, I suppose more recent transformations, very much digital focus, very much app focus, very much. You know. And I think ultimately from a customer standpoint, what it is that customers want, what you and I want, is actually the claim side to be how do you look after me in those situations where I suffer a loss or I, or I, I, I fall into certain types of difficulties. And I think really what happens there when you look at what happens in banking, when you look at what happens actually in other industries more broadly, fundamentally, there's a speed element to all of it, right? So you don't want to be sitting on, <laughs> on the phone, you know, knowing that your call is important to us. You want that you know, instant service, if possible, like, like you sort of alluded to, please. could you actually be proactive and actually kind of step ahead of the game and either detect challenges or beyond that actually prevent challenges but that's you know, <laughs> that's right that's a, right that's a, that's a much broader space to delve into but actually fundamentally just that you know the reactivity that just the reaction side around 
this has happened. I just had an accident. I just had an ailment, whatever that thing is. But the reaction time to those events really can be sped up significantly. Something else I've I've discerned from my conversations with insurance leaders and even banking leaders in reverse, just looking at how they do things and, and noticing it, how it is in insurance is a slight trend kind of pop up when it comes to service tunnels and in, in, in terms of securing both, you know, from a, if we're talking about FinServe, you know, a know your customer or AML perspective, or at least being able to verify all the information about a consumer from the first time that they touch a pipeline. And when I talk to insurance leaders, they often say that this is incredibly important insurance, not even just for the compliance side of knowing the customer, but at least for insurance, the more you know about the customer, the more you'll be able to be able to build in those functions that are more predictive, the more you'll be able to understand their circumstances and the potential risks involved with the customer variables down the line in terms of, you know, what claim do they want? What do they want to insure? Is that something that you're finding in the insurance space as well, that the, that first touch with the customer, you know, from a data perspective is, is a hugely important moment? We've likened it when we talk about it, we, we, we compare it to checking IDs at the door. Like there's a bouncer in a club and it's so, so important that the minute the customer gets to the door, that's when you want to frisk them, so to speak. You want to make that you want to give them the, the full readout then. I see you nodding, but is there a new emphasis in onboarding with these technologies for the insurance space that we just haven't seen before? No, it's absolutely, absolutely. I think, you know, I I like to think about it as, you know, both from a front of house standpoint when it comes to actually onboarding the whole new business cycle or, or, or whether that be even a renewal cycle, is fundamental with to things like straight through processing, which is a big area within insurance at the moment. Is traditional insurance, you come in, you quote, you get underwritten, and then you get something at the other end. But there's a huge focus now on how can we funnel a lot more through straight through processing, which actually you know, gets you those answers very quickly. The challenge with that, of course, is that the speed, as you start trying to increase the speed of new business and onboarding new customers, you increase the risk potentially of things like fraud on the other end. Right? And so fundamentally then, actually you need to bring you know, you know, big sort of technologies in to, to actually mitigate that risk. And then on the other end, which I think is the bit I sort of alluded to before around the claim side things, Again, you have a similar sort of situation there. And this time we're looking at claims at the point, um, sort of at fraud at the point of claim. Fundamentally, you want to speed up claims, but actually in doing that, you open the door potentially then for fraud at that point. So, it's, so there's a huge element there of interaction between, I want to get this done, I want to make it quicker, but actually how do I you know, ensure that that's done at a, a, you know, within low risk sort of a, a framework. Right, right. And when you're doing that checking IDs at the door, that's the fastest way to ensure security of the rest of the pipeline. And you don't have to go rechecking over and over again that that efficiencies already built in. But there and I think this is really insurance, really interesting. And we see this all over the insurance space right there is an example of a policy where it's not really data. That's the solution. We haven't invented anything new, but rather that the information and the tools that are that are already there, they're relatively new. Maybe they go Go back to a little bit before pandemic, but they're still in that family of of 
recent AI capabilities, but they've been around for a little bit, so they're not surprising anymore, but they're building in these policies, like what I call checking IDs at the door, and these new practices and these changes in workflows. Where are we seeing workflows change for insurance as data is helping to solve these problems? Mm. Look, there's, there's a couple of things there. So I think the, the one thing is, it, on, the, on the surface, it seems, you know, not much changed, right? It's it's all about increasing speed, uh, doing the, more or less the same thing. But I think fundamentally, in doing that, you need to consider how you put potentially behind behind the scenes actually refactor processes. And, and by that, what I mean is, you know, if you think about how, for instance, claims work, you know, there's a you know a, a, you know the first notification of claim. And then there is something else around there that looks around, is this fraudulent, is this whatever else, right? That whole process end-to-end needs to to be re-engineered to think about how do we take bits out, you know? And that's what I I talk about when I talk about speed. It's not only about pushing harder. It's not only about adding horsepower. It's not only about, you know, just adding compute power to to, 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 right. to to processing. A lot of times what increases speed is actually taking things out, it's actually taking friction out of the system. And in doing so, a lot of times that is really just taking steps out. Right? How can you actually uh, fundamentally do that? The the other element to it is, you know, a lot of, and I think it's a big confusion for a lot of people because people think, Doing more, doing better means doing more data. And you're absolutely right in, in thinking that it's not necessarily more data. And that, I think there's this whole confusion around this whole idea of big data. Right. It gives people that impression that it's got to be bigger, it's got to be more. It's actually really, from my perspective, you could, you could be looking at the same data set, but using it in a more intelligent sort of way and using better techniques actually utilize that same data set. So, so, so you're fundamentally right in saying that it's not necessarily new stuff, but it's potentially looking at old stuff in a different sort of way. I'm wondering if you have an example in, in that last one, because I, I hear over and over again across industries that, you know, you have this problem of, you know, a lot of the IT or the data side will be like, we we just need more info, we need more info, we need more haystack so we can get more needles. But there already might be needles in there and maybe you just need to be, it, it might be more of a, a more efficient use of your time to examine the hay that you already have for more needles. You might get more needles that way than just getting simply more hay. Sticking with a haystack needle <laughs> analogy. <laughs> Keeping it simple, keeping oh, yeah. it down to the farm, but 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 I, I think from your saying, it's just like no, no, you need to be smarter about finding the. Let that be the first indication. Do you do you, do you have an example there of of maybe a, a circumstance that a lot of insurance leaders run into where the solution isn't more data, but looking at it in a more efficient way? Well, absolutely. I think that one of the big challenges I find is that when you know, I suppose insurance leaders look at look at this sort of space of of AI and the first thing you think about is, you know, we don't have adequate data quality as an example. Um, And because you haven't got adequate data quality, you can't actually get much out of AI. But actually what I find is that if you focus first on the problems you're actually trying to solve and actually working your way backwards, you find that actually first things is 
a lot of times <laughs> you've got the data you need, you've actually got the attributes you need within that, right? And the other part is you, know, you look at it and, and actually you, you fundamentally, a lot of people think about quality as this thing that has got to be either 100% not quite. I mean, either got it or I don't. Right. right. <laughs> but it, but, but it's, a, it's a sliding scale. And actually, what you can do, a big part of what a lot of people actually miss, miss out, is that you need to fundamentally look at what's the impact of the level of quality I have and what I'm trying to do. Right. And actually, there's a whole range of things you can then do in terms of looking fundamentally at the outcomes you're trying to get to. And measuring that against the, the the inputs, so it's so it's I think we're, we're we're hitting it there in terms of it's it's not necessarily getting new stuff. You get new stuff, you get new data sets. It's not wrong necessarily to go go out and get new new data sets, but you, you have fundamentally same problems in that you have quality problems, you have issues around what is it my fundamental where am I trying to get to, and so I think the focus has got to be first on what use case, what is it I'm actually trying to solve. And working backwards. Absolutely. Another subject I, I wanted to turn to in a in a very multifaceted episode. Now that we've kind of covered how AI is working in the insurance space alone, insurance is a huge part of our lives. Insurance needs to insure problems. AI is among the facets of life that we need insurance products for. Even where we're looking at AI vendors, I think there's an even broader scope to this question, given how even everyday businesses are going to have their own large language models, their own bespoke models. And I, I'm wondering if we can get a sense of how are insurers going to look at AI products, AI-based business models going into the future? And, and how is that groundwork being laid right now in your view? I think, you know, one of the biggest problems that I find is obviously, <laughs> again, of course, with ChatGPT, there's so much type around this, right? And it's one of those situations where, you know, there's a big temptation for problems, shall I say, for solutions to go around looking for problems to solve, right? And I think, right. And, and that is, it's a big danger for insurance. I think, you know, what I'm finding, the, the big brains in insurance instead are looking at what kinds of use cases, what kinds of models should I be shifting my business towards? For instance, a good example would be a lot of insurance now is trying to think about, uh, you know, things like driverless cars. Should that, what, what does that mean for motor? What does that mean for where we need to be going with insurance products around mobility, around motor. There's an, another real kind of big drive here around, you know, really looking beyond the core of an insurance business, which is, again, moving away from this idea of payer, payer so, so partner, you know, so that, that sort of you know, shift from payer to partner, to actually looking more at, if you like, vertical integrations. So looking at how much more can I do, for instance, in healthcare, uh, as, as an example, can I shift from just be the gatekeeper between I'm well and I'm now ill, you know, and just to be in that payer to the provider? Can I start to create a different kind of value proposition? Perhaps that's something around improving the outcome of care, or whether that's actually shifting focus even on, on the to the prevention side, right? What can I do to actually shift? you along and actually avoid you getting chronic in the first place. 
So that's area of opportunity. And I think when you look at it from that perspective, things like LLMs and everything else around AI become potential solutions to solving the problems. Indeed. And let, let's say you're leveraging those solutions into your business model your or your, you know, just straight up an AI vendor that wants to revolutionize these spaces. You're making the technology to do it. How should you prepare for your product to be insured when you're going into those meetings and, you, and you're looking to level up as a business? Hmm. Yeah, I think, I think, you know, you can look at, you know, <laughs> interestingly, I think there's thing is it's a new kind of um phase now where we are actually starting to see actual you know products out there to ensure AI. So I mean that's that's an interesting sort of you know trajectory in some ways. But I think with a lot of organizations, and I think there's two parts to that. There's insuring from a vendor standpoint, isn't there? You know, I'm a vendor, right. I'm I'm actually a, a AI product provider. And so I can look at, you know, how can I give you or provide my clients, my potential clients, with a level of confidence in that this is likely to actually work. And then, of course, the complication around AI kind of working isn't really (laughs) the traditional technology idea of throwing it over the fence and hoping for the best. It actually needs to keep working and not sort of, deviate from its objective. So I think it's, you know, that's the kind of vendor perspective. But there's a lot of AI clearly obviously being developed in-house as well. And that requires, you know, a lot of confidence, you know, for for leaders and executives to actually see that to fruition. I think that fundamentally is one of the big issues that a lot of, I suppose, data scientists and chief data officers, et cetera, actually find. Because how do you provide any level of confidence to your stakeholders that this thing, this fancy AI thing, is actually likely to, to work? And actually, perhaps even more importantly, not, you know, <laughs> cause negative impacts to actually happen right. within your organization. So I think it's almost going back to the why is this product actually needed? Why AI insurance products actually needed? I think fundamentally, it's really about this level of uncertainty that uh, that a lot of organizations face. Yes, and and I'm wondering if there's anything at least that they need to have beforehand, or at least if there's like if if they haven't put in this groundwork yet, and we can narrow it down to AI vendors if we want to want to be more specific and, and leave the in-house folks out. But any advice? at least for AI vendors in terms of in getting their products insured that they should have prepared going into, you know, those meetings or at least in trying to seek out an insurer for their products. Mm. I think like, you know, it's it's like with this, it's 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 interesting. It's almost like with any insurance uh, proposition, shall I say, in terms of an insurer taking on a, a level of risk. The more you can demonstrate your oversight around the risk that you're carrying, the better that situation actually is. And, and the way you fundamentally need to do that is, A, first of all, you need to understand the risk yourself. Right? <laughs> so you need to be able to measure that risk that you're carrying. And, and that, that works really both for from a vendor standpoint, but also from an internal AI function sort of standpoint. Understanding the risk you're carrying, understanding how do I measure that? How do I predict it? How do I estimate how much I'm carrying? 
whether that's risk related, of course, in insurance, that's what we're talking about, but also in, in terms of the upside as well, right? So if I was to invest in this AI piece you're looking at, how should I estimate that value, right? I think that's fundamentally understanding measurement, <laughs> but also understanding tracking. How do I you know, put you know, frameworks in place to enable me continue to actually track the estimates that I actually put forward actually do happen. If you're a vendor, you're able to do that, you're able to consistently demonstrate that, you take that risk to an insurer, you become in fact, <laughs> you know, it, it becomes it becomes a, a seller's market for you. I mean, because you you're basically sitting there able to almost pick and choose who who you want to, to sort of deal with because because you have that coverage. You understand how much value you're creating there. So it's important to do that. Absolutely. And once again, very important, just as we were saying before, in terms of, of, of data and haystacks and needles, it's not about having more hay. It's about being able to look at the data that you have in the right way to bring the important data points to the top, You know, no matter what the situation is, including situations where you're trying to get your AI vendor product insured. Edosa, thank you so much for being with us for this first episode. Everyone tune in. We're going to really dive in next time and talk about your new book, Value Driven Data. So we'll have everybody at least on board for that. But thank you so much, Edosa, for being with us today on the program. You're most welcome. It's a very enjoyable episode. Thank you. Before wrapping up today's episode, I think the best introduction I can give to the next episode, or at least a, a part of today's conversation that I think will be very, very helpful and we're going to explore in spades on the next program, is what Edosa and I talked about in terms of not looking for more haystacks or more data or bigger data, but rather looking at the haystacks you have in a smarter way to get even more needles out of them. I know this space is rife with metaphors, Part of the reason that our head of research, Daniel Fagella, hired me is because I tend to be pretty good at them, whether we're talking about hammers in search of a nail or haystacks in search of a needle. But I think that point in general, not that more data means more power, but rather how you're looking at the data and what problem are you trying to solve with the data? What purpose is this data serving? Looking critically at questions in those ways, I think is going to make all the difference. And tune into our next show as we really dive into what that means and Adosa's experience in making it happen. On behalf of Daniel and the entire team here at Emerge Technology Research, thanks so much for joining us today, and we'll catch you next time on the AI and Business Podcast. <laughs> <laughs>